So um, tonight I want to talk about a little bit about just the overview of what we're doing here, like the arc of practice and the arc of a retreat. And then I also want to talk to you about the core philosophy or the core teachings. These are called the Four Noble Truths. So the core teachings um, of this lineage. And then I want to weave in with some personal examples and um, also uh, a particular practice that we use here, how to work with difficult emotions. Um, How many people here would say that you have encountered a strong wave of emotion over the past few days? Great. So I think that's relevant. What do you think? (laughs) Okay. So before we start with that process, I want to actually do something that I often do at the start of retreats, and um, because I'm curious and I want to hear from you. A lot of the way that I teach is very relational. I like to have kind of like a like thinking about being in like a living room with a fireplace, and this is conversational in some way. So. Um, What I want to invite you to do is just close your eyes for a moment. And like we've been doing, just check in with the body, moving the body, you know, undulating the spine, if that makes sense, rolling the shoulders, just checking in. And then I want you to drop this question in your awareness. What what motivated you, what motivates you to be here right now? What motivated you or what motivates you, actually what motivates you, like right now, what's motivating you to practice? And what's really, really motivating you? to practice. What's really, really, really motivating you to practice knowing that you'll never need to share it. And so just nod and let me know if you've had, like something has arisen, like there's some motivation that you've tapped into, some, there's been some response in some way. Yeah? Okay. Well, go ahead and open your eyes. And I just want to popcorn style uh, a few people, if you're willing to share, you know, one of the things that motivated you in a really succinct way. What motivates you to be here? Yeah. Liberation. Liberation. Thank you. Yeah. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Someone over here. 
I think, I, yeah, it's, you're totally in my, I couldn't see it, yeah. And just, actually, just, you can just speak, and if there's two, we'll, we figure that out. It's, you know, this one person just stops, and then we start again, so go ahead, yeah. Greater ease in my day-to-day life. To awaken before I die. To get clear. To strengthen. To strengthen. Yeah, to strengthen a new habit. Practice being in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Change your mind, change the world to have a sharper mind. Mm -hmm. To be kinder to myself and others. Grief for the person I never was. Mm. to figure out how to be with the suffering of the world. Can other people resonate with that? Yeah, as part of then what's coming up in your practice, what's going on outside in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Fortify for what lies ahead. Work through fear. Work through fear. To move through pain. To move through pain. See reality. Equanimity. Equanimity. Listen. More self love. Listen. I want the truth. <laughs> I want the truth. <laughs> yeah. Happiness. Happiness. Yeah. Oh, I love Say it again. How do I love people who've hurt me? To feel the room just get super soft with that question. Yeah. How do I love people who hurt me? How do I face aging? How do I face aging? Hmm. Hmm. How do I help my patients? How do I help my patients? How do I have patience <laughs> with my patience? <laughs> the biggest patient probably being this one right here. <laughs> right? So, I mean, we could just keep going, right? And did anyone say anything that didn't resonate just a little bit in our, in our reality? Right? We can hear sometimes when we listen to others. Listening to others can be a gateway into this feeling of more connection, of this uh, insight that we are so much more the same than we are separate, than we are different. And at the same time, there are real differences that make a real difference in the world, in how we're treated, in the privileges we have, in the opportunities we're given, and the amount of suffering that we're given in a particular life. So, you know, what this practice is supporting us in doing is being able to uh, gain the clarity 
and the steadiness and the equanimity like people are um, expressing in their motivations to be able to hold the, the beauty and the suffering, be able to see the beauty and the suffering and that they coexist, that they're inextricably linked. So that's essentially, so what we've been doing over the course of these days is we've been working these first couple days of the retreat in what we call collecting and unifying the mind. So by returning to body, by returning to breath, by returning to sound, by returning over and over again to the present moment, by using the skillful means of noble silence and slowing down and being in nature, what happens is the heart, mind, and body start to settle a little bit. Now, the paradox in that is that when the heart, mind, and body start to settle, it actually gets more alive and we can feel like more is going on than ever has been going on before. So even though from our perspective, we're watching you and you're like, oh, they're settling, the retreat's going well. Inside, it's like, what? Because we're seeing all this stuff that's been like kind of dormant and now it's coming to the surface. Is that resonating in some of your experiences? Yeah, so it can feel more chaotic than it's felt before. But that's just because things are starting to settle, so you're starting to see things more clearly. So that's where we keep coming back over and over again to collect and unify the mind. But the collecting and unifying the mind is not the means. That's just, or is um, is not the end. So we're collecting and unifying the mind so that it's still enough and settled enough to then be able to turn and start to be able to see reality. We start to turn and be able to see, okay, what's really happening here? What's actually going on? And in the practice discussions today, you know, some of you were saying, whoa, this like force of this clinging that you talked about or this greed, I'm seeing it and it's actually, I'm reinforced for this. I get praised for how I override my own wisdom. I get praised for how I override um, the, the impulses in my body to slow down, right? So we start to see, or you start to see the way you're judging yourself. You start to see the way that um, things feel solid when actually they're much more permeable. So this is, this is like the overview of what we're doing, is we're collecting and unifying the mind in order to be able to turn and see reality clearly. Um, so what, we, what I want to talk about next is what's called the Four Noble Truths. So the Four Noble Truths are the core teachings of this practice. How many people are familiar with the Four Noble Truths? When I say that, you're like, okay, I've heard that. And how many people, this is the first time you've heard anything about the Four Noble Truths? Great. Okay. And I know there's a few more of you, but you need to raise your hand. All right. So, so basically, when we think about the Four Noble Truths, um, I like to think about it, first is the, the first truth is the, the truth of that suffering exists, that there's pain in, in the world. I like to call it like the first noble truth of ouch, that it's painful here, right? It's just 
ouch, like just being in a body and you see when you sit and still your body how, how much pain just comes up, experiencing body pain. And there's nothing, you didn't do anything to experience body pain, it's just how it is. So that's like being in this realm, being a human, there's just pain. It's part of what it means to be human and you did not do anything wrong for that. The second noble truth says that what happens is that when we get something that we want or experience pain or are just like kind of nothing that we're perceiving is really going on, we, we cling, we crave, we hold on. And that this, it's this clinging and this craving and this holding on that is what's causing our like additional suffering. So there's this, just this pain that's part of existence. But then we, we hold on, we cling. And it's in this clinging that we're adding additional suffering. And the metaphor that's often used is a metaphor of arrows. That the, fir- we get, the first arrow is just the nature of being human. But then we throw all these other arrows on the situation, right? So we see a mouse we're doing outdoor meditation practice and we see a mouse and it's a little jarring. Like, oh, there's a mouse. You know, you're not used to just like a mouse right next to you. And it's a little jarring. And then you're like, there, sh- there shouldn't, we shouldn't be outside. You know, this isn't safe to be outside. This, you know, we just go. We like keep, we add fuel to the fire instead of just staying with the discomfort of the mouse saying in the body or in the experience, right? It's a benign example, but that's, that's the level what we're talking about. So there's this clinging, this craving. The third noble truth is that release is possible, that it's possible to let go. And just being in discussions with some of you and knowing the nature of the mind, you have all experienced levels of release over the past couple days, even if you don't recognize it. And that's what is interesting about being in these conditions is that we can start to recognize these truths and get familiar with them. We can start to recognize, oh, this is craving. This is release. This is that just pain that Aaron was talking about. That's just how it is. And we can learn to be with that pain just how it is. We get to learn how to discriminate, oh, this is that clinging, this is that craving, oh, this is that release. And we, so it's not that we're wanting, we're, I'm teaching you this because I want you to believe it. You actually, as you get still and hang out here in these conditions and then furthermore in your life, you start to deepen in this understanding. You get to see it for yourself. And then teach us things in the interviews, you know, like, because we're all learning together. We're all on this path together learning about how reality works. So the fourth noble truth is that there's a way, there's like a path, there's a way forward. And that way forward is in this shift in perception, that we start to see reality with the Dharma lens, that we start to see reality where we're discriminating against just the, you know, the, the, the pain, the dukkha, we're discriminating around the craving, 
we're starting to look at reality and see that like, wait, things are constantly changing. It feels solid here. It feels certain here, but it's not solid. It's not certain, you know, really touched by the motivation to how to age well, right? Because anything can happen in any moment. It seems like we're going to all walk out of this room in about 45 minutes, but we have no idea what's going to happen in 45 minutes, really. You know, and each moment is actually completely fresh, but often we're living in our concepts and our ideas about things. We're not living in this moment-to-moment, unfolding, changing right now. Because we have this habit of living in concepts. We have this habit of living in thoughts. Thoughts are not a problem, but what we can train in here is coming into the reality of this living experience, the reality of the unfolding, and that's why we keep directing you to the body, and that's so much more alive and so much more vital and so much more interesting than our ideas about the moment. Okay, you following me? Yeah? All right. So, there's different kinds of suffering that we can experience, that we experience. There's, you know, the suffering that comes from, and I'm kind of curious to hear um, some like brief things maybe from all of you, but there's a suffering of like personal, you know, like a personal kind of suffering, like stories, like you'll have stories that are coming up from your life, losing someone, a fight with a friend. The first retreat, the first month long retreat I ever sat, just before I went on the retreat, I had gotten in a fight with someone. The whole entire retreat, I'm telling you, moment after moment after moment, I rehashed this fight with this person over and over and over again. And the fight just changed. You know, it it evolved (laughs) over the course of the month, but it just wouldn't stop. Like the mind was fixated on this fight over and over and over again. And I just kept winning, you know, like... (laughs) (laughs) Finally, after four weeks, I mean, just four weeks... I had to get fierce. I was like, I went on walking meditation and I didn't even, I hated walking meditation. I know some of you were like, oh gosh, walking meditation. But it's like, okay. I was just like, all right, I'm going to pay attention to sensations in my feet. And I just stepped, step, 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 step. And I, I had like 20 minutes without that thought. But it was like, really? <laughs> the only relief I had in my memory for the whole entire month. The mind was just fixated. It was just fixated. Right? And honestly, wow. Mm. Mm.
How do I language what just unfolded there? The root of that looping, that root, the root that I saw in my mind, that retreat, is the same looping that causes war, collectively. Like the mind just wouldn't stop and it was creating its own reality and really believed itself. I was on retreat, so I was seeing that and I was practicing with it and I was doing forgiveness and I was doing metta. So I was really working with it. And the root is the root of war. The root is the root of... um, of the oppressions and the injustices and the um, the ways that we're destroying the earth and oppressing each other in this society, in these societies. So it's like we we can be here in our own story And at the same time, we can see that this is actually our collective story, our collective human story. That the personal is actually related to the whole and that we're not separate. And that the people out there that we think are evil, the factors of mind that are playing that out are actually the factors of mind that are in our own mind. What's um, powerful is that we can also see that over time, those factors, third noble truth, release. That with determination and resilience, we can change those habits of mind going back to someone else's intention. So we have this capacity, we can choose. So we'll start, we see some personal, we can see personal forms of suffering, like these loops. We can also, some of the kinds of suffering or way to categorize it is ancestral, ancestral. Sometimes you'll see patterns that are happening in your own mind and they're patterns that relate back to your family history. So oftentimes you'll hear people with histories of like domestic violence or uh, abuse and their family saying, this is going to stop with me. I'm not going to do this anymore but you're working with patterns that have a long history and a long, like uh, a connection with the, a connection with those that came before you. And then what we're also working with, which I was alluding to with my personal story is the, the collective factors. So we're working with factors of racism, with white supremacy, with, um, Uh, sexism, patriarchy, ableism, transphobia, homophobia, misogyny, all these factors are um, things that we're feeling when we sit and practice and get still. 
These are all things that we can start to analyze through this lens of craving, through this lens of holding, and through this lens of release, and that we have choice. I like this um, uh, bell hooks, this uh, quote from bell hooks, who, when she talks about the um, soci- society as, at large, she says, I begin to use the phrase in my work, white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy, because I wanted to have some language that would actually remind us continually of the interlocking systems of domination that defy our reality. And not just to have one thing be like, you know, gender is important here, race is an important issue here, but a sort, but a short way of cutting, a short, a sort of way of saying all these things are actually functioning simultaneously at all times in our lives. And if we really want to understand what's happening to me right now at this moment in my life, So if we really want to understand what's happening right here in our lives, we see that we're not separate from the dominant culture. Right? That the personal is the the collective. Let me say this again. I began to use the phrase in my work, white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy. So these are her language. This is her language of seeing reality. We might have other words that we use. But I think it's speaking to the anatta, the non-self, the way that we can see reality from um, dependent co-arising of these things that are all interconnected. I began to use the phrase in my work, white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy, because I wanted to have some language that would actually remind us continually of the interlocking systems of domination that defy our reality, and not just to have one thing be like, you know, gender is important, race is important a sort of way of saying all of these things actually are functioning simultaneously at all times in our lives. And if we really want to understand what's happening to me, we have to see through the lens of the totality of all those things. And I think this really speaks to the motivation at the end of practice where we're saying, like, may this benefit all beings right? Because we see that we're, our liberation, our suffering is not separate from other people's liberation, other people's suffering. So, what we're doing here is slowing down in order to be able, in one way you could say, to bear our own suffering responsibly so we don't cause more harm in the world. We're learning how to bear our suffering with dignity and with compassion and with wisdom so we are more part of the solution than of the problem. I was thinking back of um, being on retreat uh, 
several years ago and um, it was like three weeks into a month long and I had had a really hard retreat. There was a lot of fear, a lot of paranoia um, and I'm not uh, at that point, um, definitely not, but my life was actually going pretty well so it was very surprising that all this fear was coming up and I don't, I don't, I have other you know, things that are very um, common ways of suffering, but paranoia isn't one of them. But the mind got really paranoid. Like I had a yogi job with someone and I was certain that they um, were judging me as like someone who couldn't practice. And I was also teaching at that time. So it can be kind of vulnerable as a teacher practicing and like, it's just a whole, you can imagine, it's just a whole thing. So anyways, I was practicing. It was like three months into the retreat or three weeks into the retreat. And I woke up in the middle of the night and this um, memory surfaced. I was telling, kind of mentioning this briefly in, the, in, in an interview today. And this memory surfaced. And um, this was something that I totally remembered. If you had asked me had this happened or I'd tell the story that it happened, probably not a lot, but it's something that I totally remembered. But what happened was that I realized my body hadn't processed it. So I woke up and the body memory of the experience came back to me. And I was a mess, a total mess. I was crying and just like, oh, what am I gonna do? And I thought, okay, I need to go get a teacher. I need to find a teacher. I'll write a note to a teacher. I need to talk to someone. I was like really like all over the place. And I've been practicing for, I don't know, probably 10 or more years at this point. But I'm all over the place feeling all just disorganized, dismantled. And then, uh, and then I kind of like, realized I was a therapist at this point and I'm like, well, what would you say to a client if a client called you, <laughs> you know? And they were in this place and I'm like, okay. All right. This is what we're going to do. I'm literally talking to myself like this. I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go meditate because you love morning meditation. So we're going to go meditate. You can keep your eyes open. <laughs> then we're going to go do your yogi job even though there's this person that you think is judging you. We're still going to go do your yogi job. It's going to be fine. And then you can skip all morning of meditation. We'll curl your hair and take you for a hike. And yes, I brought a curling iron on the meditation retreat. (laughs) We have to have our self-care things. (laughs) So, so I was feeling, you know, a little more resilient and I still was, you know, and you can, you can see this in your own self, like there's this strength and there's this wisdom and there's this resilience and then there's also this piece that's just like falling apart. Can you relate to that? Yeah. So this is what we're doing. You're not off base here. This is really first and third noble truth, right? The release, the ris- wisdom, the resilience and the dukkha. And so... I go and practice, I go do my yogi job, and I'm walking up the hill, and um, I see this, uh, this uh, bird uh, flying, and then I see this worm walking, or not, you know, this worm like walking across the path. And I'm walking, and I'm, you know, walking, and this bird goes, and right in the, right in the center of the worm, 
and flies away with the worm. And I was just like, this place is relentless. Like, I was so upset. You know, it's just like, oh, like it's so hard here. And it was just like this, like, like, like really pure, like indignation, like it's not fucking fair, you know? And it was so pure, just the seeing the dukkha, like this is how it is here. Like we're born, we die, like, oh. But it really pierced through. Like I really saw first noble truth, dukkha. And the mind opened at that point. Like it was like, And it was just a moment. It was just a moment of like, But the next thought was, wow. What I had remembered earlier that morning was about a friend who had been violated. She was a girlfriend when I was 12, 13 years old. She was a little bit older than me. And something awful had happened to her. And what I saw in that moment was, wow, yes, this place is relentless and really bad things happen. And, and this was just, this is just like, like how this kind of practice can work. And, and it was this intuitive, deep knowing there is a place in her that was never touched. And that both of those coexist. Like really bad things happen and there's something else happening too. And this is how this practice works. We stay moment to moment to moment with the direct experience, with phenomena, with reality, just seeing things as they are, doubting ourselves, am I doing it right? Oh, ma, na, 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 na. You know, I could have totally that morning been like, I did something wrong. Why is my mind all over the place? I was a mess, right? If I had judged myself and not stayed with my wisdom, but I trusted this practice because I've, you know, done it so much and I trust reality, really. And in that moment, I saw something really clear that helps me sit with the suffering of the world, what helps me sit with my own suffering, not in a perfect, perfect way by any means, but with more trust and more confidence and more capacity. So one of the ways we talk about the teachings is like we hear the teachings, we contemplate the teachings, and then we know the te- teachings deep in our body. And that knowing of the teachings deep in our body is like a moment of, or moments of grace. And even hearing some of you to, today, that's happening. You're seeing things clearly. You're seeing, you're seeing how life works. You're seeing how reality unfolds. So, I 
All right, so... I think I want to talk a little bit about the form of this retreat too, just to uh, say one of my friends, Bonnie Duran, our friends, she's uh, just a really excellent teacher, a Native American woman, Dharma teacher, longtime practitioner. And she talks about this practice as a practice of decolonizing the mind. And another way of saying that is rewilding the mind, rewilding the heart. That like colonization, it, it, like we're, we're inhibited. There's ways that we're inhibited. And so part of what we're doing on this retreat with the animal of the body is, you know, with the movement, with Kate's beautiful um, yoga practice, with the lying down meditation, with doing a little bit of intuitive movement in the mornings, you know, just opening up a little bit to that disinhibition with encouraging you to use sound, is to disinhibit. That we need to... um, we need to like unwind these places in the body that are holding in order to be able to deeply listen to the wisdom of the body. So there's this process of disinhibition that we're in. And, and um, you know, it's no small task to come to a retreat called an embodiment retreat. In some way that sounds really romantic, but the reality is, is that we store holding in our body. And when we invite that going into the body, we need to be really gentle and really soft. Because like in the example that I showed you, there's things that are stored in the body that we weren't able to process before. And when we come and sit and we're inviting the body's wisdom, often what happens is all these other places where the body has stored other things. And so that's where it's like the softness, the gentleness, the compassion, so much compassion. Like I shared with you in my example, like being so nice to myself, curling my hair, you know, going for walks, you know, just being super meta, super compassionate. This is Mary Oliver. Some of you are probably familiar with this poem called Wild Geese. You don't have to be good You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things.
And this is a poem, this is a quote from um, Chogyam Trumpa that I really like that kind of speaks to what I'm trying to point to here. He says, hold the sadness and the pain of samsara, which means like this cyclical looping existence, which you've probably seen over and over again in your mind. Hold the sadness of the pain of samsara in your heart. And at the same time, the power and the vision of the great Eastern sun, then the warrior can make a proper cup of tea. Hold the sadness and the pain of samsara in your heart. And at the same time, the power and the vision of the great Eastern sun, then the warrior can make a proper cup of tea. And our founder, Jack Hornfield, he loves to quote this from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He says, O nobly born, you of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. You, O nobly born of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. So what I want to invite you to do in closing is to just come into your seated practice, come into your seated posture. invite you to close your eyes and I want you to feel into the part of yourself when I read this quote I want you to feel into what could be described as your queen or your goddess or your essence or your whatever kind of is evoked with this quote You, O nobly born, of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. So just like act as if you're noble. Act as if this is true. And then I want you to think of some kind of dukkha, some kind of pain that has arisen, it could be large, it could be small, over the past couple days. And I want you to please keep your eyes closed. And then I want you to invite the expression, the bodily expression of that thing. So just feel into that Whatever that was, think about it and just feel into the body's posture when you think about this thing. 
so with me, it's like remembering that, uh, that memory and how shaky and vulnerable and afraid I felt. My shoulders collapse a little bit and I feel young. And then I'm going to invite you to shift back into, so you kind of might need to shake it out a little bit. This is where some of that movement stuff might be helpful. Like shake that off. And then remembering this quote, you, O nobly born, you, not the person next to you, not the teachers, you, of glorious origins. Remember your radiant true nature, the essence of your mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. And just playing with this duality somatically of the warrior that can hold the great eastern sun and also the pain in your own heart. This pain is not an accident. It's actually your doorway to compassion. It's what connects you with every single person in this room and every human and being on this planet. Trust it, return to it, it is home. Thank you so much for your courage to be here in this way and for what's just moving through you and having the courage to be with it. Um, I didn't get to the emotion part, but I'll do the guided meditation tomorrow and we'll do that tomorrow. So, I, uh, yeah. So thank you so much again for your attention. We have a walking period and then back here for the last to sit. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.